0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you. My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. Uh, and I bring you some greetings uh, from Redemption North Mountain. Uh, that's our 10th congregation. Yeah, you can clap for them. Uh, they were planted actually out of Gateway. Uh, we sent about 50 or so people uh, from Redemption Gateway. Uh, a bunch of them moved up to North Phoenix. Uh, to be part of that church plant, and I had a chance to preach there a couple weekends ago. So I've been gone the last couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, I was there, and then last week I was preaching at a men's retreat for a, a friendly church here in town, New Valley Church. I've known those guys for a long time, but uh, it was awesome to be at North Mountain. A year and a half ago, they planted, and they've got around 300 people already. Um, people that are meeting Christ, people that are new to the area up there, um, just a good mixture of folks. It was really, really fun to be there, and. Uh, and they, they've been having air conditioning issues. You know, part of being a church plant is you have just challenges with stuff. And uh, they've gotten it fixed, though. So I, I was like, guys, you've got to have this fixed before I'm there. I mean, I'm already using a towel. This is going to be rough if it's, uh, if it's not fixed. But anyway, I wanted to just update you on that. Josh Watt, who was our student pastor here uh, for a long time and then is leading that church. He's doing great. Uh, it was great to see him, and Aubrey, and the boys And they send their warmest greetings. So, uh, greetings from Redemption North Mountain. Um, Some of you guys know that one of my kind of hobbies, one of the things I do, is I like to go see movies. Um, And uh, usually uh, there's a friend of mine, we go see the movies our wives don't want to see, which is most movies. So, um, it's uh, pretty fun. And uh, this past week, we went and saw a movie that's in theaters right now. It's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, And it's starring Nicolas Cage, uh, playing Nicolas Cage. And I'm not necessarily endorsing it um, or or telling you not to see it. I'm just telling you I saw it. That's all I'm saying. Um, But what's really interesting about it is you have Nicolas Cage, right, who's been in over 100 movies. I mean, he's been in all kinds of different things, all sorts of different genres. He's been in some great movies. He's been in some really, you know... Stinkers. He's been in kind of everything. And he, um, there's kind of all these memes surrounding Nicolas Cage, right? Saturday Night Live does skits about Nicolas Cage. So they're sort of like Nicolas Cage as a person, and then Nicolas Cage as like an idea or a caricature or a meme. And what's really interesting about this movie is you have Nicolas Cage playing a fictionalized version of Nicolas Cage. The movie's about this guy who's really rich and is a huge Nick, Nick Cage fan and invites Nick Cage to come to his birthday party. And so Nicolas Cage plays this version of Nicolas Cage that's kind of like the meme version, but also a little bit like the real life version. And it's just this like Russian doll thing of Nicolas Cage. It's really kind of interesting, but it got me thinking and kind of looking up on Wikipedia and going, okay, how mu- he, he's playing himself, but is he really playing himself? Like how much of of this character is actually true to his real life versus how much of this is just another kind of character, right? you get kind of what I mean? And so it's this really interesting thing where, where if you're kind of thinking like, well, who is Nicolas Cage? Is he who he plays in all of his other movies? You go, well, no. Well, is he who he plays in the movie where he plays himself? Maybe. Is he just who he is? And it actually makes me think of how, in reality, when we think about ourselves, there's a lot of versions of us, aren't there? Who are you? Who am I? What characters do we play? Who's the real you? Is the real you the you when you're at work? Is the real you the you when you're getting ready for bed at night? Is the real you the you that you post about? Who's the real you? I've gone through a lot of different versions of me, uh, some of them more uh, humorous and, uh, than others. When I was in seventh grade, I was, uh, I was into theater. So actually growing up, I, a lot of you know I played sports, but I also did a lot of acting. And kind of around middle school, I ended up having to pick, and I ended up picking sports. But I did a lot of theater. And so in seventh grade, I, I was part of a, a show at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts of Twelfth Night, which is a Shakespeare show. And uh, I was a little, it was me and this other kid, it was all adults in the cast, and then the two of us who played little people that they gave like these suits to. And it was this just sort of weird thing. But I was kind of immersed for like two months as I was in the show on Shakespeare. And so I became, the identity that I kind of took on was I was the kid that always talked in Shakespearean English. Who doesn't like that kid? I mean, (laughs) what could go wrong in seventh grade when you're that kid, I don't know. What dost thou thinketh thou would likeeth for lunch, right? Like, just shut up, man. Like, that's the, you know, you're the worst. So that's who I was kind of in seventh grade. Uh, in 10th grade, um, I kind of started getting into country music. And uh, there was this place in Denver where they would do line dancing called the Grizzly Rose. Uh, some of you maybe have been to the Grizzly Rose and they do concerts. And so I'd go to some shows, the Grizzly Rose. Well, I ended up getting some cowboy boots and getting a belt buckle and getting a hat and you know, shopping—you know—at the place with the you know where you got Wranglers, and you know—and I was like Cowboy Luke for a while. So who's the real me? Is it Shakespeare, Luke? Is it Cowboy Luke? Got to college, played baseball there, and kind of dove headfirst into all that is baseball. You know, dyeing my hair bleach blonde, and you know, thinking I'm better than everybody—that sort of a thing. Is that the real me? What about now? Look, I'm wearing a plaid shirt. I'm clearly a pastor. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I'm a suburban dad, free Uber driver for my family, right? Who's the real me? Who's the real you? Who are you? There's a saying out there, I'm curious, just kind of, uh, what do you think of this? Yes or, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down to, to this statement. Be true to yourself. You should be true to yourself. Yeah, yes or no? Come on, class, let's participate. What do we think? Thumbs up? Give me, who, who, who says yes, you should be true to yourself? Okay, a few of you. Uh, who says no, you should not be true to yourself? Who will never participate, no matter what we do, <laughs> even if millions of dollars are on the line? Oh, so many hands go up, so... Be true to yourself, yes or no? Well, because that, that's the big thing in our culture, right? Be true to yourself. You should be true to yourself. Like, the worst thing you could do is not be true to yourself. Yes or no? Well, I think a lot of us would say it's not quite that simple. It kind of depends, right? Who's the real you? If the real you is a white supremacist who wants to go into a grocery store and kill black people, don't be yourself. If the real you is angry at Taiwanese Christians and goes into a church and attacks, don't, don't, don't be the real you. Like a lot of us, we go, okay, we draw a the line there. Okay, but who's the real you? And what about the other things in you? What about the other desires in you? What about the, the desires in you that aren't very good? What about the things in you that are great? What do you think? Should you be yourself? Well, interestingly, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in this part of Colossians, as we now turn the corner into Colossians 3, is he saying, hey, as long as you remember, Christian, who you really are, then definitely be yourself. To the degree that you forget who you are, no, 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 don't be yourself. But if you remember who you actually are, if you embrace who you really are in Christ, what your true identity is, then yes, be yourself. Uh, Colossians 3 is this transitional Passage. It's this passage that is this hinge where Paul is moving from the encouragement that he gave in chapter one and the the truth that he gave in chapter two to application. He's trying to say, okay, uh, I've told you, you've been set free in Christ. Here's who you are. Now, here's how you need to lean into that. Here's how you need to live. And it's important that at some point in our Christian life that we make a move from just knowing truth to living it, to application, right? That when we stand before Jesus, he will not say, well known, my good and faithful servant. He'll say, well done. And so this is a a move of going, okay, here's who we are in chapters one and two. How, How do we lean into that? In, in chapter three, and that's what we're going to be looking at. So here's what we're looking at today. Uh, is I've titled this message, How to Be True to Your True Self. How to be true to your true self. Should be true to yourself? Well, I don't know. But you should be true, if you're a follower of Jesus, to your true self. How to do that. So today we're going to talk about how to discern and how to define and how to devote yourself to your true self. So that's what we're going to do uh, together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your grace to us. God, even as just as I mentioned, those attacks that happened last week, our hearts are heavy for the people that have been impacted by that, and we pray for uh, healing and for grace. Uh, Lord, we also just, as we think about the overall sickness that's in so much of our culture that looks like violence and hatred, uh, we pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, the root of all that stuff is selfishness, and we might not feel tempted to go be violent, but God, we're, we're tempted to be selfish. and That comes from being tempted to forget who we really are, so Lord, we pray that you would help us to see and know who we truly are in you. Give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know uh, what you all do in terms of your work and your vocation, but I hope you're trying to get better at it, and uh, I'm trying to get better as a preacher, and so getting better sometimes means you try new things, and so I'm trying something new today. I've got an iPad here, and uh, we're going uh, to kind of mark up this passage a little bit. Uh, if, if this goes well, we might do it again sometime. I don't think we'll do it every week. If it goes poorly, you will have been here for the one time. That Luke tried this. And so uh, we're going to give this a shot. But I've got the passage here, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. It's uh, what we're looking at. And the first thing that we see as we study this text is that we are to discern our true self. Discern your true self. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus who is living into the reality of who Jesus says you are, then you need to discern your true self. And so this first word is the word If. A lot of translations translate it as since, but it has with it this idea that there's a question in play here is uh, are, are you raised with Christ? Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Because everything that Paul is gonna say in the rest of this passage and the rest of the, the passages in the weeks to come is dependent on who you actually are. And so it raises, even before we kind of go, well, well, who are you exactly? It raises this question of how do you even figure out who you are? How do you how do you have How do you form identity? And so, just to pause on this for a moment, there's, there's really uh, at least three ways. Uh, there's an ancient way, there's a modern way, and I want to tell you there's a Christian way. The ancient way that is still in play in a lot of uh, traditions when it comes to the question of identity, the ancient way is uh, that your identity is inherited. This is kind of traditional cultures, just you inherit your identity, right? You uh, take on the career that you're Family has always had. You, you inherit your family name. You inherit your family traditions. You inherit your family culture. Uh, and, and in a traditional culture like this, and, and some people still kind of live in more traditional culture, so it's not ancient maybe. I don't mean that to be condescending, just going, that was the dominant thing in uh, ancient times. It's still the, the case, especially in Eastern and more traditional cultures, is that your approach to identities, you, you inherit. So, so in this kind of culture, you are your duties. You are your ability to kind of live with honor in the community. And so your self-worth in a culture like this depends on your ability to live with honor in the community. It's interesting to me, actually, that the United States in some way, especially the social media part of the United States, which I don't think is actually that big, but is influential, it's kind of going back to this shame-based approach. The way that you can feel good about yourself is do you have honor in the community? That comes from a kind of inherited identity. Uh, the more modern approach is to construct an identity. To construct an identity. So uh, this is not saying that you just inherit it, but that you actually have to build it. Right? The, the prophet uh, from the movie Frozen. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to construct an identity, and so in in this kind of way, and and this is just what this is—the air we breathe—is that you have to construct your identity, and therefore you are not just—you're not your duties, like in an inherited culture. You're your dreams, and you're your desires, and you take your dreams and you take your desires, and you construct an identity. Will I be a Shakespearean annoying seventh grader, or will I be a cowboy, or what will I be? Who am I? right? And in and, and ancient cultures and traditional cultures, you don't even ask the question, who am I? It's just handed to you. But in our culture, it's, it's given to you, right? The, the ancient culture is difficult because there's no way out of it. If you go, well, you know, I, you know, my, like I think about Kung Fu Panda, right? My dad... <laughs> My dad makes all the noodles. We're the noodle family. But I feel called to be Kung Fu, you know? Like, what do I do? And they're so enslaving and bonding. Well, well, the problem in the modern approach where you construct your identity is it's really difficult. It's difficult. Because listen, if you are your dreams and your desires, well, first of all, what if your dreams and desires are contradictory? Like a lot of us face this just in real basic ways. Like what if you want to have a really amazing romance, marriage, family, what if you, like, that's really important to you. That's one of your desires. Oh, I really want to have an extraordinary marriage, an extraordinary family. And you say, and I really want to have an extraordinarily successful career. I want to make a ton of money. I want to be able to travel the world. What do you do? Are those, you can't have both. Right? So we're living in this constant tension because there's things that we want when it comes to identity construction, and they contradict each other. And so that's what makes it difficult. The other thing that makes it difficult, second thing, is that they're changing. Right? They, they, they don't stay the same. You want you know, I wanted Shakespeare in seventh grade, and I wanted cowboy in uh, tenth grade, and I, who knows what I'll want when I'm 60? I don't know. And so it changes. And so you can kind of form an identity around something because that's what you really care about, and that's what's really important to you, and then your desires change. That's difficult. And the third thing is it's, it's crushing, right? What if you can't live up to it? This is who I am. I'm, I'm successful. This is who I am. I'm attractive. <laughs> well, we'll stay tuned about that. I mean, gravity tends to win this game, you know? Right? And so this is a lot of pressure. You're, you're supposed to be gorgeous. You're gorgeous. You're supposed to be brilliant. You're supposed to be successful. You're supposed to be rich. You're supposed to be important. You're supposed to be well-liked. Well, what, what, if, what if you can't do it? Uh, how many of you would say, uh, yeah, I think Madonna, she's been successful? Like in the world's eyes, right? Like a lot of you would go, I would rather my daughter not grow up to be like Madonna, but you know, she's been successful. Well, listen to the crushing weight of her identity construction. She says this, she says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, and I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. Even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. So those are two approaches, the inherit approach, which we've said that doesn't really work because it kind of binds you. There's the construct approach, which doesn't work because it's inconsistent. But then there's a Christian approach, which is not that you inherit it or that you construct it, but that you receive it. Jeremy, you got the switcher back there? I'm showing sure it's connected. I'm wrong. Well, we'll see. Maybe I'll do it again. There we go. Great. Thanks, Brandon. All right. So we don't inherit, we don't construct, we receive. That's the Christian identity. It's not that you inherit it from your family because you don't become a Christian just by having parents that are Christians or grandparents that are Christians or a family tradition that's Christian. You actually have to be born again yourself by trusting in Christ. So it's not inherited, uh, but it's also not constructed. You don't have to work hard to become a Christian. You simply have to receive the gift of Jesus. It is Jesus' gift to you. It is Jesus' grace to you. It is Jesus' death on the cross in your place for you. And that's the identity you receive, right? This is, uh, I always think it's funny when, when someone says, uh, they go, oh, I like your name. And, and, and what you say, what I say, it, what I say out loud is, thank you. What I think is, I didn't pick it. <laughs> and it's the same thing with, with my Christian identity. Oh, you're a Christian? That's cool. Thank you. I didn't pick it. Yeah, I trusted in Christ, but, but he so overwhelmed me with his love and his grace and his kindness and his mercy, and he poured out. And so I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to construct anything. My self-worth does not depend on honoring my community. My self-worth does not depend on the honor that I bestow upon myself by being true to myself. My self-worth comes from who Jesus says I am. So first, you've got to discern your true self. How are you trying to experience and identity. Because here's here's the reality. A lot of Christians would say we receive it, but we're really constructing it. We fall just in the same traps that the world falls into. We fall in the same things that they do, and we do all the same problems, and we feel all the same burdens, and we feel all the same weight. And I want to tell those of you, especially those of you who are Christians or you're not Christians, and you're just overwhelmed by the fact that you can't live up to who you're trying to be. I want to tell you that that crushing weight you feel is God's grace to you saying, stop. You don't need to. I'm not mad at you, but I just want you to see this will only drive you in the ground. Will you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden? Because I'll give you rest. Why? Because I'll give you an identity you don't have to earn. An identity that can't be stopped. Discern your true self. The second thing we do is, in light of that, we have to define. Our true self, define our true self. And uh, if we think about this, this is where we go, okay, what have we seen so far just in the book of Colossians? And then we'll see what we see in this passage. In the book of Colossians, we've seen some amazing things about those who are in Christ. The language Paul uses in verse three is that those who have faith in Christ Jesus, those who are trusting in Christ Jesus. Well, who is the true self of those who are trusting in Jesus? The true self of those who are trusting in Jesus is that we have, in verse 5 of chapter 1, a hope laid up for us in heaven. Our uh, eternity, our future, our forever isn't here in this world. It's in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in heaven. It's waiting to come back to earth and make all things new. That's our hope. By the way, and, I, and I'm going to make these contrasts, not to, not to be mean-spirited, But just to say, listen, if you're living with an inherited identity or a constructed identity and not a Christian identity, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, then all these things that are true of Christians aren't true of you. You don't have a hope laid up for you in heaven. If you're you're not in Christ, this earth's as close as you're going to get to heaven. But if you are, there's a hope laid up for you. In verse 9 of chapter 1, we see that part of who we are, part of our true self, is that we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, that God is overflowing and pouring more and more and more wisdom, more and more instruction, more and more understanding of who He really is, and that helps us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that's fully pleasing to Him, right? And, And so that's an amazing thing, that if we're in Christ, our true self is filled with the knowledge of His will and fully pleasing to Him get this again. If you're not a follower of Christ, again, I'm so glad you're here. I'm not trying to be mean in any way, but I am trying to just make things clear. You cannot please God. Scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can be a good person. You can be a nice person. You can be a kind person. You can't please God, and you won't have a knowledge of His will. All the knowledge and all the understanding you can have at some point will kind of cap out because you won't know him. This relationship that we have with God in chapter 1 verse 12 has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It has delivered us from a domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus where there's forgiveness of sins. And so there's an inheritance for you if you're a follower of Jesus. This means that not only will you live forever, but you will keep enjoying forever the riches of his grace and kindness to you. The, the world is dark, but your heart, your, your mind, your soul, your spirit, you are not in, enslaved. You're not trapped in a domain of darkness. You've been transferred into a new place, a new realm, the kingdom of God. Your sins are forgiven. This means if you're not a follower of Christ, again, there's no inheritance for you. Scripture says that you're still in the domain of darkness, that your sins remain unforgiven. Would you turn to Jesus? Jesus. As you read the rest of chapter 1, you learn more about who your true self is. Verse 21, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, that's who he used to be doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled. So we're going from being enemies, hostile, alienated from God, to being friends, to being reconciled, to being part of the same family. We now call him as our father. If you're not a follower of Christ, no matter how good you are, and I I believe you're good. I I meet lots of non-Christians that I think are so much better people than Christians. It's to our shame. But that's not what determines everything. What determines it is, are you in Christ? The good news is, as you put your faith in Christ, He does change you and make you over time better because He's reconciled you. There's more good news as you keep reading chapter 1, is that the mystery that was hidden for ages is now revealed to you. Right? There's lots of mystery in the world about what is God like and what, what, what is this going on? And in this case in particular, he's saying there was all this stuff in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, that, that people were looking forward to and anticipating, but they never really experienced it. And now, because of God's grace, the mystery is not a mystery anymore. You've, it's been revealed to you. What, what is it? It's that Christ is in you. It's that God himself has come to be among his people. This is amazing news. We saw last week that because of this reality, we who were dead in our trespasses, God has now made alive together with him, that he's canceled the record of debt that was standing against us, and we have died to the elemental spirits of this world, to the human precepts, to the philosophies and the approaches of life that seem to promise so much wisdom but actually don't. And here's what I want to say. If you're not in Christ, I'm just trying to help you see this is what, this is not what I say. This is what the Bible says. It's true of you. So, who's your true self? Are you in Christ? If you've been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Not through your good works, not through your religiosity, not through your effort, but by faith. If you, if you received this gift, has He resurrected your heart, made you born again to a living hope, if so, then all that stuff in chapters one and two is true you, but look at this passage. What do we see here? Well, in this passage, we see that not only all that stuff, but we've been raised with Christ. In this passage, we see that we have died, that our life is hidden with Christ, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Get this. This is saying that Jesus has uh, covered our past. He's with us in the present. Really, we're with him in the present and our future is secure. What does this mean? Well, he says, you have died. Uh, This means that that your sins, and the old you, and all the things that used to be most important, and that used to be what you lived for, that's all gone now. You've died to that. Uh, You know, occasionally someone will uh, commit a crime, and in the committing of the crime, they'll die. And you know what never happens? you don't try that person for their crime. Why? They're already dead. Here, here's what it's saying. It's saying you aren't going to be tried for your crimes because the old you already died. You have died. Your life now is hidden with Christ in God. This is, uh, this is wild language, but this is what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that the real you is with Christ in God. That the old you's dead, the old you's gone. This is why when we do baptisms, we take people down into the water, symbolizing that the old them has gone down into the grave and then up out of the water, raised with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. I read this amazing story this week about this guy named Ronald Reed. Uh, Ronald Reed uh, worked for years at a gas station. uh, And then after he worked at a gas station, he uh, ended up working at a school where he was a janitor for the rest of his career. And when Ronald Reed died turned out that he had 8 million dollars in the bank cuz even though every day he wore a ratty coat that was literally held together by you know buttons and pins safety pins he was actually this kind of whiz with investing and so he had all these stocks with all these major things. And so he died with $8 million. This guy who worked as a janitor, who worked at a gas station, who actually, th- th- that, was, that was what looked like him. The real him, the hidden him, had all this money. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you have this hidden life with Christ and God. The, the real you, the real you is, is rich in mercy. The real you is rich in God's grace. The real you is, is rich with the inheritance that you're about to receive. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And it also means that you, when, he, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's future. Um, uh, my kids are uh, 15 to 5. And one of the things I've thought for a long time is I watch them, and I just think they're remarkable people. Um, sometimes I'll say to Molly, I'll say, Babe, I, I can't wait to see who they're going to become. I just think they're amazing people, and and it's gonna be so cool to see who, who they emerge to be. Well, what about this? What about the real you? Because you go, man, there, I have these moments where I'm so locked into who I am in Christ. I have these moments where I, I'm so aware of his love for me. I have these moments where I'm so dialed into what he wants for me and I'm living out of that. And, but, but then I have all these other moments that feel like so many more moments where I'm distracted and I'm tempted. And I'm, and I'm just thinking about myself and I, and I just think about my comfort and my priorities and everything gets out of whack. And, and here's what it's saying. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The real you. I can't wait to meet the real you. I can't wait to meet the real me. And here's the the challenge of this life. This is what we're going to look at next week when Paul starts talking about put off these kinds of behaviors, put on these kinds of behaviors. Is the challenge of the rest of our lives is that we are trying to become in our life who we actually are. We are these people who have died to sin. We are these people whose life is hidden with Christ and God. And we are these people who will have our life appear in glory. So that's who we are. That's our identity. In a way, this is wild. Even your truest self, if you're a follower of Jesus, is still kind of hidden from you. It's wild. And This is what I want to tell you, man. If, if you just haven't trusted Jesus yet, like, let's go. Don't you want in on that? I mean, an identity that you don't just inherit, that isn't meaningful to you, nor an identity that crushes you with all the stuff you gotta do, but an identity that you receive from a God who's just crazy about you, who has shown it to you by giving you his son, and who is storing up all kinds of incredible things for you to experience forever. I mean, the water is warm. Come on in. Trust him. Follow him. Know him. Receive him. But here's the thing. For those of you who are Christians, we got to lean into this. This is saying, there are $8 million there. Don't wear a ratty coat. Right? That's the saddest thing when I hear that story. Poor, what, what, what good is $8 million when you're dead? Like, buy a nice coat. I don't know. You don't need to get a $200,000 Lamborghini, but you could. I don't know. Like, at least get one, like, get a car. You don't have to pedal, <laughs> right? And so many of us as, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're, we're still living like we're in this old place of spiritual nothingness, of darkness. and And, and so, here's the Here's the third thing that we see from this text is we have to devote ourselves to our new true self. Devote yourself to your new true self. Discern your true self. Define your true self. Okay, that's who I really am. And now devote yourself to your new true self. Look at these words in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians one verse, or 3 verse 1, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. This word seek means to reach for something that you desire. It means to, the NIV translates it, to set your heart on, to keep seeking. So it's a present tense verb. It's, it's not like, hey, seek it once, look for it once. It's like, keep going, keep pursuing, set your heart on this, reach for something. This is matter. This matters. It's a huge goal. Go for it. Seek the things that are above. The next verse, he says, set your minds on, same thing, on things that are above. So that mean? Set your mind means to direct your attention. He's using these two words to kind of say the same thing, which is I want you to focus on something. I remember some years ago when my oldest daughter uh, announced to me a few days before her birthday that for her birthday, here's exactly how she wanted her cake, including this peanut butter frosting that went kind of all around it. And I went, my identity, I'm an amazing dad. I'm going to be an amazing dad. And I set my heart on peanut butter frosting. And I must have gone to six stores. Nobody had peanut butter frosting. I finally had to go to the bakery at Target where they had chocolate muffins with peanut butter frosting on top, and I bought all the, the cupcakes, actually, and then I just scraped the frosting <laughs> off, and that way I could do my own. Why? Because I was seeking peanut butter frosting. I was setting my mind on peanut butter frosting. This is what he's saying. Seek Set your minds on, what does he say? The things that are above, the things that are above. Notice that twice he says that. The things that are above, the things that are above. So this raises a question then. Because if I just said to you, hey, think about the things that are above, you start to go, hmm, okay, ready, go. I don't know if I'm doing it. What are the things that are above? Right, Because when you hear that, it sounds real abstract. It sounds real mysterious. It sounds real shadowy. It sounds like, oh, these high highfalutin ideas of whatever. But that's not what's going on because Paul has said, hey, Colossians, you're all caught up in these mysterious-sounding, important-sounding, mysterious, only a few people can get in on it things, and that's not the thing. Jesus has been revealed. So when he says, set your minds on things above, he's not telling them, like, you know, just think about stuff that no one can think about. What are the things above? This is what I want you to see. This is why we pulled out the iPad today. For one time only. This is why. (laughs) Do you see it in the passage? What are the things above? It's in there. Four times in these four verses. Paul tells you, here's exactly what's above. You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Listen, like a compass just naturally orients toward north. The Christian's heart is to naturally orient toward Christ. Oh yes, he's the one that's above. Because I can't think of abstract ideas about goodness or something, but I can think about him. We spent the last year plus looking at him in the Gospel of John. This man who is bold, this man who is courageous, this man who is tenderhearted, this man who is sacrificial, this man who looks and who listens and is patient and is understanding and is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We've seen him. And this is what Paul's saying. Set your mind on him. Think about him. Focus on him. Is that what you're focused on? Because listen, friends, we put on our ratty jackets. There's $8 million in our bank. His name's Jesus. And we put on the ratty jacket of politics. And we put on the ratty jacket of inflation. And we put on the ratty jacket of sports. I love sports, but it's a ratty jacket compared to Christ. We put on all these ratty jackets of all this stuff that's going on in the world. And this, Listen, at no point in here is he saying, don't enjoy God's good creation. But what he is saying is if, if all those other things are getting more of your heart, more of your focus, more of your this is what I'm driving around to find than Jesus, then you're forgetting who you are. That's what we do. Is this what you're seeking? Don't seek money. Don't seek status. Don't seek romance. Don't seek your career. Don't seek your reputation. Seek Christ. What does it look like to take off that ratty jacket and to put on this new life of Christ? Well, that's what we'll look at next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy and kindness to us. Thank you, Father, for Uh, the truth that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, I pray right now for those who, as they just discern their own heart, they say, you know what? I don't know if I actually have Christ. I don't know if I actually have faith. And and Lord, what a great place to be. What a great place to explore that because everyone in this room has been in those shoes. I've been in those shoes. And so, Father, I pray uh, for those who are beginning to explore who is Jesus. And God, I pray that they'd be able to get answers to those questions and to get comfort as they learn and discover who he is. Lord, I pray for those of us who are followers of yours, that we would not get distracted by the things of this world, but that our focus, our heart, our attention would be on Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus. There's a lot of battles we're fighting, but you've you've fought them. You've won them. You have our hearts. We're yours. And so we thank you, God, that we don't have to fight for ourselves, that we have you and that you are for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.